May it please the court, my name is Jerry Pigsley. I represent Noah's Ark Processors and Council. Uh, it's been almost two years um, since I appeared before the court involving Noah's Ark. Um, and this is only the second case that involved Noah's Ark enforcement of a board order. Although in this case, you would think that we had been um, before this court many times. This is only the second time that Noah's Ark um, is before this court for an enforcement of an NRB order. What I am pleased to report to this court is it may be the last time because uh, the parties were able to reach an agreement this past summer. And that was a major stumbling block. The difference between the first time I appeared before this court and today is in that first case, um, there was a dispute over collective bargaining, not entering into a contract. But there was also 13 other claims. Other claims. This case only concerns not able to enter into a, an agreement. And when it went through the board process, it appears that the ALJ came out with the standard decision in terms of relief when an employer has been found to have violated its rights to in bargaining in good faith. However, when it went before the, the full board, the three-member panel in D.C., uh, two of the three board members decided to um, order extraordinary remedies. And that is um, a major shift. Um, this is uh, a case that has received a lot of publicity, probably only among labor attorneys. But what it is, is it's showing that the, the board is expanding. And it is directed their prosecutor that if you have this case, these are the remedies that you should be seeking. That's, that's getting the board involved in the prosecutorial role, unlike adjudicator. And in this case, you're seeking um, from the, the employer to have them uh, post a non-standard notice explaining NRA rights, which has been historically limited in the past where you've had many violations of the act, like a, a J.P. Stevens that was notorious for violating the act. But in this case, we only have a case where it concerns an impasse after seven separate negotiation sessions with this labor union. You also have this case where the CEO is being ordered to read a standard notice plus an explanation of rights to all of his employees, um, not only in English, but in Spanish. And what is, what's unique in this case is that it's just not a high-ranking management official being ordered to read it. The board is saying, we want Mr. Ziegelheim, the CEO, to read this notice. You also have not only this standard notice um, going to be posted, but now it's the board is saying it needs to be distributed to all the employees um, at that group meeting. What's wrong with that? 
I think the, the issue is, is that it sets a precedent of why are you requiring this notice not only to be uh, passed out, but also to be sent by certified mail. Normally what has happened in the past is the notice is posted. The employees have 60 days to read that. Um, and that has been considered sufficient. What, what if the, I mean, what, what, what's wrong with the board saying, well, we may have done that in the past, but we just don't think that's adequate. Uh, uh, people are on vacation. They're, on, they're sick when this meeting occurs. Some people have already left. Um, we think a more effective means of notice will be to mail a notice to them. I mean, I, it doesn't seem to me that that's that illogical. Well, and, and the notice, Your Honor, would be posted for 60 days according to the standard process. This notice is now going to be posted for one year in the workplace. Does that really matter? Because once it's posted, it's posted. I mean, it's like, you know, just hanging around, hanging there. I mean, it's sort of like, uh, um, you know, the workers' comp notice that's posted in every workplace. And it, you know, it just it turns yellow. It hangs around the wall. And every 10 years, the state sends you another one. And, and it just becomes part of the woodwork, totally ignored by everybody. So why does it really matter whether it's 60 days or a year? I think that the issue, Your Honor, is when, what is the, the limit? Um, is it now going to be a three-year notice? Um, because the, the board is wanting to send a message to punish? Because the U.S. Supreme Court many years ago ruled in Republic Steel that the board's um, authority to issue remedies should not be punitive. And in essence, what you're seeing now is an effort to become punitive with an employer that uh, they have a problem with. Or to ensure that the uh, the employer doesn't come before the board multiple times. I mean, I guess one problem I'm having with your argument is you, you've conceded or acknowledged, not conceded, acknowledged that these type of extraordinary remedies come out with repeat offenders. And so for us, what do we do with that? I mean, technically speaking, Noah's Ark is a repeat offender. We upheld that there was bargaining in bad faith in the first appeal, and they're, you know, they're coming before us again. And so do you draw the line at three times? Do you draw the line at five times? I mean, it seems to me that once you're a repeat offender, you're a repeat offender. Well, the, the, the employer has only been before this court now the second time. Correct. That's what, yeah. And, and so... Um, but, but, but they held that you were a repeat offender, and we, we upheld it the first time. And, and, but there are other yeah. proceedings, yes. too, in the district court. Right. So, and, I mean, it isn't just like, okay, two, two, and, two and done. There's a lot more to it than that. And, and the proceeding in the district court, what's interesting about that proceeding is the, the case, the original, the first case that came before the court, the, the NLRB did not wait for the NLRB to go through the process. They filed what they call a 10-J injunction request before the board could actually issue its decision. And then, then the, the court found that Noah's Ark had not complied with their order. And Judge Gerard said, you can purge the order by going back to the bargaining table. And that was where they went back to the bargaining table and didn't reach an agreement. You know, I think that one of the arguments that, that really you're advancing is that it's kind of like, where is the line? Uh, how extraordinary do you have to be in your bad behavior before extraordinary remedies apply? And the question I've got is that um, obviously, if, if you know, there are cases out there, and you've mm -hmm. referenced a couple of them, where 
they, yeah, it's pretty offensive, and it's gone on for a long time, and it's repeat, 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 and it's just like enough already. Okay, right. now I've got a case that um, you're recalcitrant, and the allegation is is that um, you really don't change anything at all, but it's just the second time. You know, is that extraordinary enough to be? subjected to the extraordinary remedies. And I know you're going to say no, and my question is, why not? Well, I think it's why not in this case is you have one board member, um, a board member Kaplan, who had, and my brief is relying on his dissent significantly on these reliefs that he says, and he couldn't convince one of the other board members that it was extraordinary. Mm -hmm. um, and so what you see is, when does this relief that's now being ordered in Noah's Ark become the standard relief? Yeah, and, and, that, and that is the question, because there is a sort of advisory nature. of These are all the available remedies, and, and that seems kind of odd from a adjudicative standpoint, uh, because it seems to me if you're going to write policy, there's, there's rulemaking authority, and you can write policy somewhere else, and it shouldn't really just show up in an, in an, in an adjudication document, perhaps. Um, but... But how much of the remedy then fails here? What survives? That's the, that's the question. You know, Your Honor, I think what survives is what is the standard relief that has been done for many, many years, the posting of the notice for 60 days, the not requiring the CEO to read it, but be able to allow the, another higher-ranking management official to read it, um, not requiring it to be sent by certified mail to everybody, in this plant, uh, not required. Would it matter if it was just ordinary mail as opposed to certified mail? Because obviously the cost is significantly. It is significant. And if the, the issue then becomes we have to have return receipts. There's significant turnover in a meatpacking plant. Um, and the other issue in this case that's very significant is now a person from Overland Park, Kansas, is going to be driving to Hastings, Nebraska, to talk to employees to see if this notice has been posted uh, to make sure that there is compliance. That's, that's way off the charts in terms of what we've seen. And that's for a whole year. Well, let me ask you a more fundamental question. Um, the board takes a position you don't even have jurisdiction. We don't even have jurisdiction in this case, that you, in essence, have waived all these arguments. You didn't file specific objections to the what you call the standard relief, as I understand it, which is required by board policy. So I would, would seem that's definitely waived. And then you didn't ask for reconsideration for the extraordinary add-on remedies. And what's your, what's your argument to the, the board's position that you, you, haven't, you haven't preserved your argument? Your, your Honor, uh, in my reply brief, I addressed that. Uh, the exceptions that were filed by the employer Included remedial relief, but you can't just say we want all. We don't want any remedial relief. You've got to say more than that. Well, and, and we did. We said it was outside standard board law, outside the record. Which no, which ones you're talking about? The ones that the ALJ imposed, or the ones that the board added the add-ons from the board. It was what was the ALJ. That was where we filed the exceptions, and on a board decision, when you have a board decision where you can show that it would be futile 
Because as I said in my reply brief, there was, in the month of August, 26 cases. Not a single one of the cases did the board members who decided this case find for an employer on an unfair labor. So it was the, the board was given the opportunity to address all these extraordinary remedies when uh, board member Kaplan raised it in dissent. And so I, I believe that we, the Noah's Ark has not waived it because they clearly had the opportunity to address these um, issues of extraordinary But on remedies. the extraordinary remedies, there was no motion for reconsideration filed. So, I mean, I think the... I think the answer is you've got to at least try under Chenery, right? Because, I mean, basic basic ad, ad law principles say you've got to present it to the board. The board has to make a ruling. And if they haven't made a ruling, we can't come in and make a ruling for them, can we? I mean, at, the, at that point, we're stuck with no record because there was no, there was no motion for reconsideration. Well, the, the board has to enforce their own order. At that time, then the employer can come forward and address that board's order. And we as the employer, do not have to uh, appeal that order, this motion for reconsideration would have been futile you know, based the, on the decision. The question about futility is, of course, our court has specifically said that we have never recognized futility uh, as excusing a failure to raise an appropriate objection to the board in uh, Chipotle services. And that's a 2017 case. It's not ancient. You know, while there are other circuits that have talked about futility, we've never adopted it. Obviously, you believe we should. Why? Well, I think in this case, you could look at clearly the issue of whether it was impasse. And that was raised in this uh, argument by the employer. If you find that there was no um, that impasse was reached, you don't even have to get to the remedial relief. Very good. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honors. Ms. Sheehy. Good afternoon, Your Honors. Barbara Sheehy for the National Labor Relations Board. Um, I'm going to spend, as long as it's okay with the court, I just want to double check, though, before I'm going to spend the bulk of my time, I think, speaking about the remedies, because that sort of seems where we're gaining a little bit of traction. Unless, the, So I just want to make sure, that if there were any questions the court wanted to ask of the board as they relate to the merits. So, well, I, I have one question. Sure. Um, just as a matter of board policy, uh, you know, I, I assume that the ultimate goal of any of these cases is to get the employer and the union to engage in good faith bargaining and come to an agreement. Now, apparently that's now occurred in this case. I, I, I don't know that. I, I, the, I know that's what opposing counsel said, but the board's, anyway. My question <laughs> is, if, if that, assuming that's the case, sure. um, after you have one of these uh, disputes like this, do you then go back and try to say, okay, now we, we got what we ultimately wanted, which is a contract. Let's, let's resolve all this other stuff, or is that the never, Two shall never meet. Uh. <laughs> In my experience, I think it is. I think it is the two shall never meet. That the obviously the goal is a collective is good faith bargaining. Absolutely, and if that's if they've reached an agreement, I think that's fantastic. Um, but that doesn't change the fact, sort of where where we were when the board handled this case, and it doesn't change the fact that the other goals of the statute are to ensure that the that the rights are respected. Certainly, they it seems they 
have reached an agreement now in 2023, but that doesn't change what happened from January 2020 until sort of we haven't actually gotten the, in, the remedy enforced yet. Um, is there a mechanism to, add, to, to sort of press you on that? Is there a mechanism for them to go back to the board and say, hey, we reached an agreement. Can you please take away at least the extraordinary remedies? Because, you know, uh, we did what we were supposed to do. We've learned our lesson and we want to move on. I don't believe there is a, I don't believe there is a mechanism for that. But, but um, isn't there a doctrine of mootness in front of the board? I mean, at some point, you know, making the, the CEO drive 500 miles and, uh, read a notice that no longer has any viability or, or has limited viability. Seems I mean, to respectfully, be quite I think, extraordinary. I think respectfully, no I, think the, <laughs> I think the board. Um, I think the board would disagree that it, it's either moot at this point. The the fact that the parties have continued to bargain doesn't change that this employer, despite board intervention, despite district court intervention, intervention, despite a contempt order, violated the act at least. As it relates to the collective bargaining agreement, we can set aside the rest of the violations that happened on the first go round. But with respect to the, with respect to contract bargaining, we violated the act, notwithstanding an order from this court, an order from the board, and uh, a district court injunction and a district court contempt finding. So I don't think I don't think it's fair to say no harm, no foul, because now we have an agreement that doesn't change the fact that these employees saw this employer trample on Section 7 rights for three, four, four years, from 2019, at least, well, till, not, till I, I'm not sure when the end, what we'll talk about is the end point, but at least starting in 2019, these employees saw an employer that flouted its obligations under the statute. So I, do, I don't think it's fair to say that it's moot. It's laudable that they've reached it now, and maybe it could be the case of they understand now what their obligations are, and who's to say whether it was this order that we're asking for enforcement that jump-started this. So I don't think it's fair to say that they don't serve a purpose of their move. And to be fair, I don't think the CEO, maybe I misunderstood the, I think the CEO is at the facility. I think it's, I thought the concern was about a board agent driving to the, not, I mean, I don't think that that's a, a big okay. issue, but I, I thought that, I think the I mean, maybe, maybe wrong. I don't know where the CEO is. I just sort of believed that he, that he was in. No, and let's, let's be fair. This court ordered and enforce, sorry, enforce the board's order in 2021 that this very CEO read the notice mm -hmm. in Noah's Ark number one. So it's not, it's not that this court, the, the court has done it before, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know that it's yeah, extraordinary I, I in that sense. Yeah, I think the difference isn't to, to, that this court hasn't ordered it before. The question is, is 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 if it's not moot, is it punitive, and is as, or has it become a punitive remedy as opposed to to uh, a, a remedy to enforce the uh, uh, the act at this point? I mean, and and, and I. Certainly, and of course, the board takes the position that it's um, that it's a remedy that's necessary to meet the statutory the statutory command of the board to put the parties back where they would have been if the unfair labor practices hadn't obtained. But I do want to say something about um, even this notion that it is punitive. I think, as we point out in our brief, we do, and as Judge Malloy asks opposing counsel, um, the board does take the position that the court is without jurisdiction to consider all of the challenges that are now in the court on the remedial issue. So that's obviously our position. But on top of that, we now do it. We're now sort of moving into a new discussion because of the reply brief that came in where there's this new argument because it's not in the first, it's not in the opening brief. We know there were no exceptions filed, so it's not there. It's not in Judge Kaplan's dissent. So this brand new idea that the remedies are punitive 
That, is, that was raised for the first time, as, as far as I understand it, in the employer's reply brief. Not even Judge, um, um, sorry, Member Kaplan, not even Member Kaplan in his dissent, which is, let's be quite frank, that's the, that's the brief that has been submitted to this court as Member Kaplan's dissent. Member Kaplan uses the word punitive twice in a single footnote, and it's in a hypothetical sense. So not even Member Kaplan is arguing, or is taking the position, rather, he's not arguing, is taking the position in his dissent that these remedies are punitive. So I'm happy to engage with the court on questions if they have them on punitive, but I want to be very clear that even a charitable reading, and we forget about the jurisdictional arguments of the board that you had an obligation under uh, the board policy, or sorry, board regulation, to raise these matters in a motion for reconsideration or in your exceptions. Even if we set all of that aside, I don't, I don't think it's fair to even then also allow for them to raise new issues in their reply. Counsel, on the, on the issue of what's, what is and isn't before us, I heard you say at the beginning that you didn't know whether or not um, you know, a collective bargaining agreement had been reached. And that raises another type of Chenery question, which is that wasn't made part of the record. And so I wonder whether, even if it's true, even if they, you know, is there something in the record that suggests that, or are we just having to take counsel's word for it? I don't, I don't mean, so the yeah. short answer is yes, and I don't mean to suggest that he's not being... No, I understand. For, for, I'm just trying to figure out what we can consider. Certainly, it's not in the record. The record closes with the, um, well, the evidentiary record closes with the, um, at the end of the hearing uh, before the administrative law judge, but then the record itself closes, but there was no additional evidence taken when the board issues its decision. And when it issued the decision, I believe it was April... 2023, there is no, there's no mention in that, do you know, and this was news to me, uh, I didn't know that, I'm happy to let uh, intervener counsel speak to it as well. Um, so no, it's not in the record, it's not before the board, um, is the short answer that I think I actually made longer than I <laughs> intended to. Um, and let me, uh, oh, there's, there was a, an issue that came up um, during uh, my opposing counsel's time about they had to send it over certified mail and there was discussion. The board's order doesn't require certified mail. It requires return receipt, uh, which there are multiple ways to do return receipt. So the, the mailing of both the explanation of rights and the notice do not have to be by certified mail. Uh, the court can see that in paragraph J of the, um, of the order itself. Uh, what about the argument that... Um that these extraordinary remedies are limited to cases where there's like repeat, 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 repeat offenses. And now they're becoming ordinary remedies. Um, and we can figure out, I mean, we have to figure out whether this is an extraordinary case or not. But I'm wondering what to make of that argument if, if the board is actually imposing these more often in non-extraordinary cases. In my experience, they, that, well, before you was, a in my experience, I'll answer it this way. The cases that I've seen where you have seen a shift in the type of remedies that the board is imposing, they have involved recidivist employers or, so the board has a three sort of conjunctive test, it doesn't have to be all three, recidivists, widespread violations, or particularly egregious violations. The board here found that this employer satisfied each and every one of those considerations, even though they didn't have to. They could just be a recidivist or just an egregious offender. So I don't think that, I think it's fair to say that the board's jurisprudence, the board's line of cases now is not extending these remedies to non-recidivists, to non-egregious offenders, 
or to non-widespread offenders or widespread unfair labor practices. Of course, the devil's in the details, and I'm just wondering in your experience, and of course you probably don't have this empirical data, but <clears throat> how many of them fall into we're going to order extraordinary remedies? If there's 100 cases, do 50 of them? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I don't. Yeah, I don't okay. know. I don't know that because um, I guess it would it would have to depend right on how many is it a, is it a recidivist um, or like I said widespread or egregious um, violation. So, and I guess the data could be skewed, right? It could be that in a particular one year period or something, you could have a number of recidivist employers coming forward. So the data might skew where, wow, the board has really gone off the reservation when really just it is, is the cases they're considering involve the type of offender that the board has routinely said will be subject to a different sort of uh, remedial order than a standard, um, than sort of a first time non-widespread non or non-egregious offender. Um, just looking over my notes to see if there was anything else. Uh, one thing I, I, I so, since I have time, I'm just going to mention it briefly. Um, the the I, I sort of got the sense from the employer's brief, and not exactly from the questionings here, but in other cases, that um, this pushback on the idea that the employer also has to read or has to mail or has to post an explanation of rights. I encourage the board, or the court rather, to look exactly at what that document is. It's at the addendum because it's page 22. There's another. There's one or two sentences on page 21. But it's 22. It's not a boogeyman of a document. It's a restatement of their rights, of employee rights under the Act. And then it's a tailoring of we won't do this. Here it says I won't, we won't unilaterally implement. Or it's unlawful, sorry. The notice says we, want, we won't. So I would encourage the court to, to look at that because it's not quite this. I, I just think they would be more comfortable. I think courts in general would be more comfortable uh, in enforcing a board order involving an explanation of rights once they look at exactly what that is, because it's not it's not propaganda. I sort of <laughs> I guess the sum and substance of that. Um, unless there were other questions, I'm going to um, let my intervener counsel speak. No, thank you. All right. Thank you so much. And obviously, we'd ask for full enforcement of the board's order. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Zarate. May it please the court, I am Frederick Zarate of Blake and Ulig on behalf of UFCW Local 222IN, formerly known as UFCW Local 293. Uh, your honors, um, just now was discussed this issue of mootness. Um, I just want to acknowledge that a CBA has been reached, I believe it was signed in September of, of, of 2023. Um, that said, um, we don't believe that the remedies ordered here are moot. The CBA that was reached was by no means um, a desirable contract uh, for, uh, on, uh, as perceived by the union. That CBA was a creature based upon the support of employees who's, who have suffered the deleterious chilling effect of the employer's bad behavior. Um, and we believe that the board's um, remedies here will allow successive co contracts uh, to be uh, to reflect the support, the actual support of the employees, um, it will give us you know an actual equal bargaining power um, rather than here where we were disadvantaged by the employer's bad behavior over the last several years. Um, additionally, I'd like to point out that um, as was previously discussed, this issue of arguments being waived, the petitioner and the intervener's briefs have 
have asserted that your respondent failed to argue that the board's uh, bad faith bargaining finding was unsupported by substantial evidence. I just want to add now that you know, even taking into account the, the respondent's reply brief and re respondent's remarks today, uh, respondent has failed to attack the law or the facts that the board relied upon um, in reaching its bad faith bargaining finding. Um, additionally, uh, also discussed was this was the motion for, was a was the motion for was the, was the respondent being barred from. Uh, challenging the extraordinary remedies based upon 10E as a result of not filing its motion for reconsideration, which respondent addressed briefly in his reply brief. I just want to point out that the response attempts to paint a motion for reconsideration as futile um, are disingenuous. The in its reply brief, respondent cherry picks an irrelevant snapshot of board decisions to assert that the board never rules in favor of employers. It's irrelevant because Respond provided a snapshot of board decisions in August of 2023 for some unspecified reason. The responsibility or opportunity to file a motion for reconsideration would have been April and May. And had respondent uh, provided a more accurate sample or a more relevant sample, it would have been forced to acknowledge that the board does, in fact, rule in favor of employees regularly. Can I ask you, so in the, in the first appeal, we held that, um, the majority held that there was extraordinary cause excusing the failure to bring up. I forget which argument it was, but, but excused it that way. Um, why isn't there extraordinary cause here, and why doesn't that open the door to a futility argument? Of course, I disagreed, as I recall, with that, but nonetheless, the majority seemed to find extraordinary cause to raise it, for, for the failure to raise it. Like, we're going to go ahead and consider it now. I, I, I mean, I don't think there is extraordinary cause. Um... And frankly, the respondent hasn't um, reiterated any, any such extraordinary causes. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you. Mr. Pigsley. Thank you, Your Honor. Just to clarify uh, some matters, um, the CEO uh, actually lives in New Jersey. He flies in. So it's not a, uh, a short trip for him to come to the plant. Um, the remedies are punitive in a sense that what Member Kaplan uh, cited in his footnote 7 was, he says that the board needs to look at this to see whether we are exceeding um, our authority in getting into the punitive area. The employee rights notice. But he didn't say these were punitive. No, he did not, Your Honor. Uh, the employee rights notice um, that's now being required in addition to the standard notice, uh, that was something that the board tried to um, adopt a rule, and uh, that was challenged um, by employers, and uh, the court found that uh, the board did not have the authority to issue that type of notice for all employers. So that, so now what you see is that the board is now doing the adjudicative rule because they couldn't get it through a rule making. And the contract, I believe, um, Mr. Zerati said was, I thought he said September, it was actually signed by the Mr. Ziegelheim, who's from New Jersey, on May 23rd, 2023, and it was signed by Eric Reeder, the union president, on June 18th of this, this year. So. 
Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you very much. The case has been well argued and well briefed. Uh, we'll take it under advisement and um, issue an opinion in due course.